And welcome everyone to another edition of The Final Point. A lot to get into. And by the way, it is a nice day outside. Um, starting off with, I, I really just want to dive into it. Uh, the Warriors and Clippers series right now. The Clippers are down three games to one. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason why they're down three games to one. Um, as you saw game two, they they beat them. They were down by 31. What I don't understand is what was the difference between game two and game three? Because the difference is game two, they found out through resilience that they could beat them with a 31-point lead. Then game three, they totally played a different style of basketball. I don't get it. Like The Clippers have to realize this. That's a good young basketball team. But at the same time, it's like, hey, you guys are not going to outshoot Stephen Curry. You guys are not going to beat Stephen Curry. It's not going to happen. You guys are not going to beat a guy. This is what he does. He shoots every single game, every almost every possession. He's shooting. The ball's, in, the, the ball's going out of his hands. He's shooting every time. So why would you think that you're going to compete Against a three-point shooter like Curry or Klay Thompson or Durant. Durant 6'10". Like, I don't understand. I don't understand what the Clippers' logic was in game three. I, I really didn't understand that. I was completely lost, and that's probably why they're down three games to, to one. And looking at the box scores, Durant played 38 minutes. And only had 33 points, which is not bad, not bad at all. But he took 21 shots and only made 12. So that tells me that he had a stretch where he's missed quite a bit of shots. Same thing with Draymond Green. Draymond Green played 37 minutes, had 10 points, almost had a double-double rather. But he took 11 shots and only made four. So I'm assuming in that 11, 11 attempts, he's missed a few layups because he's not shooting the ball that much. Bogut played 21 minutes, had 10 rebounds, 8 points. That's not bad for Bogut because Bogut, I didn't even think he was going to be able to play 21 minutes. Stephen Curry, 35 points. I mean, I'm sorry, Stephen Curry. 35 minutes, but he struggled. Ladies and gentlemen, he struggled. He only had 12 points. He took nine three-pointers and only made one for the game. And took 14 field goals and only made three. So he only made four shots for 12 points, but he came up with 12 rebounds. I don't understand. I'm having a hard time understanding how does a point guard get 10 rebounds. I don't understand that. I'm really having a hard time understanding that. They shot 38% from three. They were kind of neck and neck. You know, 41% for the the Clippers. I thought they didn't get a lot out of Lou Williams. Lou Williams struggled again. He had uh, 10 shots, only made two. Lou Williams, to me, took 
towards I, towards the end, they they had a stretch where they were up like five, and Lou Williams took it upon himself to just keep coming down the court, jacking up three pointers. And if your shooting percentage, if you are not shooting well, you should pass the ball. Wilson Chandler, horrible. So the best two players off the bench is Harrell and Williams. And they both combine for 22 points, and that's off your bench. That's not going to get it. That's not going to beat the Warriors. When the Warriors had, well, 14 points combined between McKinney and Iguodala as far as scoring, as far as getting bench help. So, the Warriors, I think, made a mistake the other night. They understand that. They understand that they blew a 31-point lead. They get it. They understand it. And I'm pretty sure all the Warrior fans understand it. But I think the next round, they're going to be tested. They're going to really, really, really be tested. Because with the Warriors losing to the Clippers in Game 2, a lot of teams saw that. There's no way you're going to compete against another team with them not thinking that it's possible to beat you. I think the Rockets have the best chance. They have the best chance at the rate that they're playing, but not at the rate that James Harden played last game. James Harden struggled big time. He struggled on Saturday. Even though they won by three, he struggled on Saturday. And how he struggled was he took 20 20 attempts, 20 shots, and only made three. Now, that's a bad night. And he took the most shots for the entire team. He had 10 assists, so pretty much everyone had their their touches. But I think for the Rockets to win, James Harden's assist has to go through the roof. Because he has to get everybody involved. He has to have... Uh, Chris Paul playing well. Actually, Chris Paul played really well. He had 7 of 15 for 18 points. That's what they're going to need from Chris Paul. That's what they're going to need. But they're going to need him to get uh, 18 points, 10 assists. They're going to need that every game to beat Golden State. They're going to need that. They're going to need Capella's 14 rebounds, 11 points offensively. They're going to need that. They're going to need P.J. Tucker's uh, 10 rebounds, 12 12 points. So he had a double-double. Capella had a double-double. They're going to need all of that. They're also going to need uh, Austin Rivers offensively. This is probably the best I've seen him play. Uh, 17 minutes, 4 of 6, 11 points. That's not bad um, for a guy who doesn't, in my opinion, plays very well coming off the bench. Uh, Kenneth Fareed, they gotta get they gotta get something from him. If they're gonna beat the Warriors, the bench has to play big, and they gotta get something for uh, uh, from Fareed. They have to. I mean, these little ten minutes, four points, two rebounds—that's just not gonna cut it. That's not gonna beat the Warriors at all. Chris Paul didn't shoot the three well. The entire team did not shoot the three well. They shot just thirty-three percent. Neither did the Jazz. The Jazz shot 29%. The Jazz played horrible. Horrible. And I think in the offseason, they're going to have to gut this roster. 
Because when you have Crowder, five points, Ingles, eight points, Gobert, 10 points, Rubio, 10, Donovan Mitchell, 34. Donovan Mitchell shot 12 three-pointers and only made four, but he took 27 shots and only made nine. So he took more shots than anybody on the team. He actually took more shots than anybody on the Rockets team. So in other words, he felt he needed to jack up a bunch of shots in a close game. And the final of that game went 104-101. Utah played well, but well, it doesn't... In the playoffs, you can't play well and think you're going to win. The competition is different. And when teams are approaching a four-game series, they know every game is critical. Home and on the road. The Jazz are going to have to fix that roster. They're going to have to do something to that. That's that's a horrible basketball team. They're going to have to do something to that. Bucks and Pistons. So it looks like Milwaukee is going to move on, which was a no-brainer. Right now, in the East, it looks like the Bucks are the best team in the East right now. And not saying that just because they have the number one seed, but to say, look how well they're playing right now. If you look at it, Lopez and Middleton both had, Middleton had 20 and Brooke Lopez had 19. Brooke Lopez went 8 of 13, Middleton went 7 of 13. So they both took the same amount of shots, it's just one made one more basket than the other. That's really good. To get that type of production out of your, out of your center, who played 34 minutes, that's really good. The Bucks are probably the sleeper here in the East. It's really not going to be 76ers. They got Embiid, and Embiid is dominating right now only because the Nets don't have a legitimate center that can actually uh, make him uncomfortable down low. So, Philadelphia, I don't think is going to beat Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee comes out of the East. I think from top to bottom, they're just the best team in the East, top to bottom. I mean, when you're getting from your bench, when you're getting somewhere around 26, uh, when you're getting 38 points off from just from your bench, 38. When you're getting 38 points from your bench, how do you not think that, hey, how do you not think you're the best, you're not the best team in the East? The Warriors are the best team in basketball. And they're not getting that from their bench. So, and I know we're, we're talking about two different teams who play in two different conferences, but I'm looking at it from a statistical standpoint. That's what we're looking at. Bledsoe had 19 attempts for eight shots, 30 minutes, 19 points, and six rebounds. One thing that people forget about Milwaukee is they're a great rebounding team. A great rebounding team. They actually out-rebounded the uh, Detroit Pistons big time. Out-rebounded them. And that's going to be 50-44. to Actually, 51-44. to I don't see Milwaukee as a great three-point shooting team. But 
most certainly they can get to the basket. They can score, you know, averaging well over 120-something points per game uh, in, the, in the playoffs. Next round, we'll see. We'll see how well they play, and we'll see, you know, they're going to be tested. I always believe either in the later rounds or in the second round, teams will be tested. The Nuggets. Nuggets and Spurs. Now, the final of that game was 117-103. The Nuggets, if the Nuggets are going to win this series, and I've said this once before, and I said it last night, if the Nuggets are going to win, they... Paul Millsap has to play a lot better than he's playing. They're just not. Paul Millsap is not giving them anything. He missed both of his three-pointers. He only made one basket for two points. He had four rebounds in just 27 minutes. So the question is, you're playing 27 minutes. What are you doing in the game? I mean, what is he doing defensively? He's not doing anything defensively at all. What can you say about Murray? Jamal Murray, he is balling for 33 minutes. He took 14 shots, made eight, three of five from the three-point line, 24 points, six assists. I mean, that guy's balling right now. He is balling right now. But in theory, is that going to be enough to beat San Antonio in a four in a, in a seven-game series? When you have all these players, when you have Gary Harris. When you have Mason Plumley, when you have Morris, when you have Jokic, when you have uh, that small forward they have, uh, last name named Craig. Actually, he played pretty well also. He's missed four shots total, four shots. So he went five of seven from the three and then six of nine from the perimeter. So he missed three. So basically five shots, rather. He missed five shots the entire game. He didn't take a lot, but he only he only missed five shots. He had eight rebounds for 18 points. I think they got a lot more production. The Nuggets did. They got a lot more production. A lot more production from their team this time around. But I think the key is going back up to Denver. They're going to have to play, I mean, extremely well in Denver. They're going to have to outplay Denver. And they're going to have, I mean, not Denver, but San Antonio. They're going to have to outplay San Antonio every chance they get. Because it seems like San Antonio is finding a way to win. They're finding a way to win. San Antonio had Aldridge game 24, DeRozan, Forbes, one had 19, one had 10. They have to get more out of White. White just had a bad game. Uh, the last two games he played really well. So we can't hang that over his head. Patty Mills had 12. And that's it. They didn't get a lot from the bench. And I think that's where San Antonio came up short. They didn't get a lot from their bench at all. So I think the next game, that's the key for them to win the next game, is that they're going to have to get more from their bench. And I think that's going to have to play a part in... Uh, the entire playoffs, whether you're on the Eastern Conference or the West, you have your bitch has to play well because that's what's going to keep you in the game. Your starters are not going to have a great game every single time. If you think they are, no, it's not going to happen. Not not consistently, not because you're playing maybe more than you're playing at least 
you're playing a seven-game series. So chances are you got to win four. And you got to play the same team that may have been a little tougher the night before. Or their tougher game two. Or their tougher game three. Or maybe you took 14 shots and made six. Or you took 20 shots and made eight. That's not improving because it's taking you more shots, more attempts. But you're only making two shots more than you did last time. But if your team's not winning, you have to change what it is that you're doing. So sometimes you may have to facilitate the ball, get guys involved, get more guys involved. Because right now, both benches didn't play well. It's just that they got outplayed in the fourth quarter. Looking at it this way, 76ers and Nets, pretty much the 76ers are going to close this out. I think the Nets... Had their chance in this series. The last two games, and they blew it. Embiid, what can you say? Um, Tobias Harris took 20 shots, made 24 points. Embiid, 22 shots, 31 points. Ben Simmons played really well. Eight rebounds, eight assists, 15 points, seven of 12. That's what it's going to take. Right there. That's what it's going to take. For the 76ers to be the elite Eastern Conference team that we expect them to be. Jimmy Butler played well as well. He had 11 points, but he went 4 of 6. So everyone's playing quite a bit of minutes, but they've got more production. Four out of their five starters. J.J. Reddick gives them nothing. He takes all the shots. He gets them nothing. But their bench didn't give them anything as well. Mike Scott hit a big shot towards the end. Uh, to get the victory in that game. The Celtics are moving on. They're playing the the Pacers. They played the Pacers, and they beat them four straight games. Without Oladipo, it it, it was just too tough for them. It was just just too tough. Uh, Oladipo gives them a lot. Uh, The Magics did their best, I thought. They gave Toronto a run for their money, but... Being down three games to one, I don't see them coming back. And the Thunder. What can you say about Portland Trailblazers? I mean, this is a Portland team that comes to win, and they come to play every single night. Uh, What's going on with Westbrook? Westbrook took 21 shots, only made five. He had nine rebounds, seven assists. That's not bad, but you took seven three-pointers and only made two. That's not going to beat Portland. That's why they're down three games to one. They're also down three games to one because they're getting nothing. All they're getting is Schroeder's 28 minutes, 17 points. That's all they're getting. They're not getting any more than that, and they haven't for some time. They haven't for some time. I think Portland closes it out. I think Portland's going to be moving on here. I think it's going to be Portland. It's going to be the Blazers against either the Nuggets or the Spurs, which is still going to be another exciting series. And then it's going to be the Rockets and the Warriors, which is going to be another exciting, you know, series. So people continue to keep watching this exciting playoffs. I'm going to shift gears real quick. I'm going to talk about boxing. Um... What I'm what I'm seeing 
is a lot of nonsense. And what I mean by that is I'm, I'm hearing, you know, hey, Crawford gave him a low blow and he just couldn't continue. I saw the replay. I saw the fight. Ladies and gentlemen, Crawford hit him on the thigh. Crawford hit him on the thigh. I don't see where Crawford hit him in the groin. Khan quit, unfortunately. Khan quit. Because Khan, I think, overlooked Crawford. He and Once he found out how good Crawford was, that's when he quit. Because he realized he had no chance of winning, especially on those scorecards. It was done. It was a no-win situation for Khan, so he gave up. To me, that's a quitter. To me, that's somebody who doesn't even deserve a rematch. Matter of fact, just go ahead and retire. Because I heard his press conference, this man sat there and said, well, he's going to feel my power. He's going to feel my speed. I haven't seen any of that. Haven't seen any of that. What I don't understand is, you call out these fighters, then when it's time to box, you're not even the boxer we were looking at the last time, or six months ago when we saw you boxing. Now, and by the way, Danny Garcia looked really good over the weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing him fight a contender. Manny Pacquiao, everybody's after him. Terrence Crawford, Earl Spence. Now let's 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 look at that. Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford are not going to fight this year. I can tell you that right now for this reason. One, when you're dealing with Bob Arum, a promoter that a lot of people don't like to deal with, how do you think that fight's going to get made? But I think from a press standpoint, it affects the fighters because it comes down to, oh, well, Crawford, he's scared of Spence. Or Spence is scared of Crawford. Those That's, that's the type of nonsense you're going to hear. You're going to hear that. Neither one of them are scared. But in the end, what prevents them from boxing is it, this is a business at the end of the day. It's a business. And the business is based on whether Bob Arum can make a deal that makes it worth for Crawford to fight and for him to benefit. If it doesn't make sense, that fight's not going to happen. That's the same thing that happened with Joshua. Same thing happened with Wilder. To me, yes, the fights need to happen. But what I don't want to see right now is Earl Spence and Crawford. What I want to see is the rest of the welterweight division. What I want to see is I want to see Thurman get in there. Because Thurman talks a lot of nonsense. He talks a lot of crap. And and he's not as good as he thinks he is. Sean Porter needs to get in there and fight somebody also. Danny Garcia needs to get in there and fight somebody also. These guys need to get in there and fight. Because we're not going to get the big matchups until we find out who the best in the welterweight is. Right now, we're looking at Spence and Crawford. But then it's like, okay, well, you get to a point where you say, well, maybe I need to move up and wait because no one wants to fight. If you think about Mayweather's career, Mayweather had to move up and wait because some of the other guys didn't want to fight him. Costa Zoo, Prince Nassim had to fight him. But a lot of these guys didn't want to fight him after he was destroying other fighters. So he moved up and wait because he wanted to fight the best out there. 
Then it was like, okay, well, I want to get some of this pay-per-view money. So that's what Earl Spence is going to have to do. Is I'm not saying he has to move up and wait. What I'm saying is, is that issue these challenges. Let's start with the bottom half of the welterweight division. And let's see what's going on. I mean, right now, two things are going to happen when you look at Crawford, when you look at Spence. We're going to find out. Somebody's got to lose. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's going to be considered the best in the welterweight. Somebody is going to be considered the number two welterweight in the world. And then people forget about Manny Pacquiao. I think Manny Pacquiao is a lot better than people give him credit for. I thought he looked really sharp against Adrian Broner. Um, and not to and not to discredit Broner and say, oh, he didn't fight anybody. But they made $30 million in pay-per-view sales. So Broner was somebody that people wanted to see because they made $30 million. So Manny Pacquiao, I think him and Earl Spence make sense right now. It makes sense right now because you got two of the biggest names in the division at this moment in time. I think the winner should look to face maybe in the later half of the year of 2020, then Crawford and Spence should fight in the later half of 2020. But as of right now, no, because we still don't know who are the two top welterweights in the world because no one's fought at all. Same thing in the heavyweight division. It makes no sense for Deontay Wilder to fight Dominic Brazil. I don't know why he's even fighting Dominic Brazil. It makes no sense. Because what we're looking at is, we're looking at Wilder. He's going to knock out Dominic Brazil. I'm telling you right now. I don't even think that's even why. It's not even worth watching. It shouldn't even be on Showtime. It shouldn't even be on Showtime. It shouldn't even be on, on, on Fox, PBC, or whatever that is. It should be on YouTube. Because all this is is a sparring session for Wilder. This this is this is nothing for him. At all. Dominic Brazil is going to get knocked out. I, this fight won't even go five rounds. It won't go five rounds. And if it does, that's because Wilder's playing around. It's not going to go five rounds. I guarantee it. Anthony Joshua was supposed to fight Big Baby Miller. He, he failed a drug test. Not once. But twice. That's interesting because this is the same guy who got on the podium and talked all that mess to Joshua. The heavyweight division is a very tough division because it's that one punch. Your lights are out. I think for Joshua and what will really make sense for Joshua. And I talked about this last night is that Joshua's going to have to fight guys that are ranked in the top five or better. I'm not talking about mandatories. I'm talking about the top guys in the division besides Wilder. Tyson Fury's already fighting somebody. Which, by the way, would be a really good matchup considering the fact that considering the fact that Wilder is at that point where, you know, guys are like, oh man. You know, I guess, you know, fighting Wilder, it's a payday, but it's also a knockout. It's also a knockout for Wilder. To me, Anthony Joshua and Wilder would be a really good fight for next year. But they got to get something done. Eddie Hearn is full of it. I'm telling you now. He's full of it. You know, why would you turn down an offer of $50 million? 
And what Joshua's saying is, okay, well, that's fine, but I want to fight once in the UK, once in the United States. So in other words, if Joshua loses, he wants a rematch right away. So it would be a two-fight deal. So the question is, do we really want to see that again after the outcome of the fight? It depends on the scorecards and how close the fight is. If you fast forward to Canelo Alvarez, Daniel Jacobs is going to get whooped. I don't even know why this fight's even happening. It could be, you know, you want to unify, that's fine. Canelo's going to win that fight. He's going to unify those belts again. He's going to unify those belts, and then that's it. Jacobs is just not the guy. Canelo is is just too tough, too tough for him, and too big, too strong. But people will see that. Last but not least, Tevin Farmer. And I'm going to keep talking about this dude because he thinks he's that good, and he's not. I'm telling you, Javante Davis is going to knock this man's lights out. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. It. If you're not at home, if you're Tevin Farmer, if you're not at home watching Javante Davis, because then you talk about Lomachenko, he don't want no Lomachenko either. That's going to be a brutal fight. Lomachenko and Tevin Farmer, please. That's not even a pay-per-view fight. That's like ESPN, ESPN Plus, or some top-ranked nonsense. I'm telling you, it's not. Tevin Farmer is not a pay-per-view star. He's not. He's not a pay-per-view star. Now, what I will say in his defense, and I know Leonard Ellerby spoke about this before, is that he's active. I give that to him. He's active and he's winning. No problem. I respect that. But at the end of the day, it's like you're calling out Javante Davis. But you understand that fighting him, you're not going to get that right away. It has nothing to do with him being scared or him thinking he's going to lose. It has everything to do with the fact that this is a business. Does it make sense? And what type of platform does Tevin Farmer fight on? That's it. That's it. Also, want to talk about baseball. The Dodgers are hot right now, ladies and gentlemen. They're hot right now. They struggled. I get it. I've heard all of the... Of the criticism. I got a lot of criticism about my Dodgers, and, and that's just the way it is. But the Dodgers, this is the way it goes. This is a long season. I've seen teams struggling. I've seen the Giants struggle and then make the playoffs and then win the World Series. I've seen it happen. So we're still early. We're still early. You know, as long as the Dodgers play well. We will be fine. Hopefully, at the trade deadline, what I'm hoping for is that we get some type of, um, you know, we get some better pitching. I think we have great offense. We just don't have enough pitching, enough arms, and that's just my personal opinion. But uh, this is this is a long season, so not too much worried about it. Uh, shifting gears, uh, the NFL draft is Thursday. It's, it's kind of nerve-wracking. It's kind of nervous because you're you're always wondering what are the Cardinals going to do with the number one pick? What are the Raiders going to do at number four? What are the Niners going to do at number two? And I was saying last night that 
49ers, and I'm only saying this because of the direction that they're going in, San Francisco should go ahead and draft Nick Bosa, period. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it fits what they're trying to do from a defensive standpoint. It fits what they're trying to do. And, I mean, that's the best defensive player you're going to get at that at that pick. And then drafting a player that high, that's the best defensive player you're going to get. So it makes more than enough sense to draft Nick Bosa. If Arizona passes on Kyler Murray, it'll be a if 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 Arizona passes up on Murray, it'd be the biggest mistake. Biggest mistake. Biggest mistake. Because if you're Arizona, first of all, you have to draft a leader. You have to draft a quarterback that you feel can lead this football team. Josh Rosen can't do it. Josh Rosen is not the guy. I would have traded Josh Rosen a long time ago, got another pick, and maybe either use that pick that I traded for Josh Rosen, either get some offensive line to protect my investment, which is my quarterback, or get some defense. Because you're going to have to have defense against Seattle, San Francisco, and the Rams. You have to. And if you're going to build for the future, you have to start now. And you have to look at the need. Not want, but need. That's the difference. But you always find out in this draft that people get, want what they want. Okay, fine. They trade up to get the player they want. And then they realize, hey, we shouldn't have made this trade. So now you gave up additional picks that you could have used in later rounds to maybe get somebody that fits where you're trying to go and fits the mold that you're trying to that you're trying to build. I still feel like San Francisco is making strides, but I still feel like the man in the front office is not the guy. John Lynch is not the guy. He's not the guy. I still stand behind that. He's not the guy at all, in my opinion. You don't bring a TV analyst in and make him your GM. Well, that's what the Raiders did. It was a t- uh, it was a uh, TV analyst and made him the GM. But the question is, how is it that you become a GM but you don't have no control? You just you got a title. You don't have a control. So to me, Mike Mayock is just more of a consultant. Because between him and John Gruden, people are going to find out on Thursday just what they've been thinking and just what direction this team is going in. Same thing with San Francisco. Same thing with the Dallas Cowboys. Same thing with Baltimore Ravens, Rams. Same thing with New England. All across the board. If you look at it, Super Bowl champion Patriots, if you rank them, is the Patriots still the number one team in football in spite of the fact that they won the championship last year? Um, when you look at some of the free agency, when you look at some of the signings, I think the team who benefited the most, the team who got better overnight is Cleveland Browns. I'm not saying they're going to win a championship. I've seen different analysts say different things, some wild stuff. But I think the Browns, I would say this, with what they've done so far, I think they can beat Baltimore, and I think they'll win their division. 
they'll get to the playoffs. Now, that's a whole nother side of an orange, what they do after that. That's a whole nother side of an orange. So, I think we'll see. We'll see how good year two Mayfield is. Baker Mayfield is a tough guy. I think a lot of people sleep on him. Um, They got Odell Beckham, clearly the second best receiver in this league behind Julio Jones. I think Julio Jones is the best receiver in this league. So that's another thing. Speaking of Julio Jones, Atlanta fell off since they went to the Super Bowl. They haven't been very good for a long time. For a long time. Atlanta has to be able to run the ball effectively. Freeman has to stay healthy. And they have to protect Matt Ryan. But Matt Ryan has to make smart throws. He has to be able to not turn the ball over. We're going to see what adjustments they made this year. And I think it's going to, I think Dan Quinn's job is on the line this year. So be looking for that. Because I say that in the sense of you make these trades, you, you, you sign these guys. But the question is, if you look at it and you make this these signings, this is a former NFC Championship team. And then you fall down for the last, what, two years, three years? You never recovered, but you haven't improved either. So his job is going to be questioned. His job is definitely going to be questioned. You're going to see a lot of coaching changes. But look for the NFL draft this Thursday. And look at the trades that teams make, the selections. We'll talk about that on my next podcast. But you're going to see the directions that teams are going in. From a quarterback standpoint, receiver standpoint, running back standpoint, you're going to see. Everyone's going to see. Thank you for tuning in for another edition of my podcast, The Final Point. We'll see you next week.